This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. In her satin tights, fighting for our rights, and the old red, white, and blue, uh, Wonder Woman is back and on the big screen in a enjoyably successful entry in the DC universe. And boy, could we use one. Um, <laughs> that that slowly imploding universe has been saved by Wonder Woman and uh, a fabulous performance by Gal Gadot and directed by Patty Jenkins. And we will be talking about Wonder Woman and other great female heroes in this edition of Lends Me Your Ears. I'm Stephen Cook, and I'm an arts writer for Local Express here in Halifax. And I'm Karsten Knox, and I am a film writer. My blog is called Flaw in the Iris, and you can find it at halifaxbloggers.ca. And we're about to find out who can make a hawk a dove and stop a war with love right after this. The F-bombing New York Times bestsellers, Thug Kitchen. Gwyneth Paltrow's two-time co-author, Julia Tertian. The polite and proper Great British Bake Off's food stylist. What do they all have in common? They're all at the intersection of culinary arts and pop culture. And they've all been guests on The Food Podcast, a Village Soundcast network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. If you really want to connect with someone, just write them a letter. It was a dark and stormy night. The only light came from a lantern swinging from the gatepost. A pathway to where? What's your pathway? What's in your brown paper bag? I think for me, it's more about a feeling, is that when I'm writing about food, I'm really writing about people. It was a springboard to learn about culture, history, and of course, health. As a story, I almost want there to be some internal conflict, even if it is just eggs or French toast. I am the architect of my own health. I decide what direction I go in. I build its foundation with every thought I think and with what I eat. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. So thank you for listening to Lens Me Your Ears, uh, our 40-something edition of Lens Me Your Ears, a podcast where we talk about movies and cinemas, and then go back and talk about uh, genre antecedents and uh, and other uh, uh, earlier films that you might not have heard about, and then, you know, we'll get, hopefully, you know, you'll learn a thing or two, maybe hear about movies that you want to check out that you've never seen before. Today, we're talking Wonder Woman which has been a huge hit in cinemas. And we're also talking about female action heroes, which is a genre which I am very pleased to see has uh, really come into its own in recent years. And uh, yeah, and there's there's quite a bit to talk about. But we're going to start with Wonder Woman, which is directed by Patty Jenkins, uh, written by Alan Heinberg, Jason Fuchs, and Zack Snyder. And it is a... Uh, it is oh man that when it came out the the sound that you heard around the well North America was the exhalation of relief because of nerds everywhere of the geeks everywhere because the DC universe films ever since Christopher Nolan decided to stop making uh, Batman movies has been kind of awful i mean there were things about man of steel i liked especially the first act but it it really had its problems in tone and then there was uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which was a big mess. And then there was Suicide Squad, which, uh, you know, all these movies made lots of money. But boy, I think if Wonder Woman hadn't been good, I don't know what would have happened. I think people would have just written off DC altogether. 
<clears throat> maybe just watch their TV shows because, uh, because yeah, it was it was not good. But uh, fortunately, Wonder Woman is a lot of fun. It it isn't a perfect film, but it is uh, it is what I think people was really were really looking for, which is this character which has been around for 50 70 80 years and uh and has has gone through a lot of different iterations but is is arrived arrived on screen uh, she arrived on screen fully formed and she was i think the best part of Batman v Superman where she was a supporting role but here we get to find out her whole origins from Paradise Island or or them, Themiscria, Themis, I can never pronounce that word. Stephen, do, do you know how to pronounce the, the Greek island where, where uh, Wonder Woman is from? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Themis, Themiscria? I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so we get this uh we get we get this wonderful <laughs> character. She's supposedly a um a demigoddess who was sculpted from clay. She's the only child on this island full of Amazons uh who all basically have interesting variations on the same accent. Uh and uh and uh, yeah, and they she's raised there and she's she learns that this island of warriors are all supposedly you know there uh as and have this relationship with the greek gods but uh she wants to be a warrior too but her mom uh the queen uh she does not want her to be a warrior for some reason or other uh connie nielsen who's actually really great in in the part but her aunt uh General Antiope, uh, played by Robin Wright, who is terrific in her her supporting role, uh, basically starts to train her early, and eventually she becomes the uh, in her adulthood uh, becomes the greatest warrior. Of course, we don't really get a sense of how long it takes her to get to adulthood. There's a lot of details. <laughs> There's a lot about of fast the, forwarding <laughs> about the ga- Yeah, about the uh, the the Amazons that we're not quite. We don't quite understand, but when she finally comes to terms with the fact of of her her she has powers, special powers that that distinguishes her from the rest of the Amazons. Uh, Diana, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, is encounters the first man she's ever seen, uh, played by Chris Pine, Lucky Her, and he is a uh, an a, a spy for the Allies who has stolen a German plane in World War One and flown it from. Uh, I guess um, Turkey, yes, uh, in that area, somewhere in Turkey, too, and crash lands off the coast, off the beach of Paradise Island, and uh, with the Germans in hot pursuit. And this draws Diana, who is capable and confident, but a little naive, into the world at war, accompanying (laughs) the Chris Pine character to London and then eventually to the front in Europe, where she definitely sees some some action uh, and gets to flip a tank or two. Yeah, apparently all you need to crash through the magic barrier around uh, the island is is a World War One biplane. (laughs) Apparently the gods didn't see fur enough into the future to know that all you would need was... uh, a gas-powered turbine and some canvas strapped. Yeah, it would be ni- it would be nice to know how the gods tried to keep this island safe and secure and get a, a sense they live in kind of a bubble that is inaccessible to the outer world, but yet certain parts of the outer world had no trouble getting in. So, yeah, th- there's, there are a lot of details in the beginning that are are sort of glossed over. Like, for instance, how is it that that uh, Diana is able to deflect bullets when all she did was train with bows and arrows and swords. Um, that's another thing that isn't quite explained. But uh, projectiles, it, projectiles. Yeah, yeah. yeah you see you one, go. you see them all. 
Um, but uh, I knew that I really would enjoy this film. It, it's very, it's very uh, devoted to its worldview, and uh, it feels those those opening twenty minutes or so feel very much like like the uh, the original Desmond Davis's Clash of the Titans, which I'm a big fan of. Not so much the remakes, uh, and it uh, it's quite wonderful. And the action sequences are really creative. Uh, I you know I think that Katniss Everdeen could learn a thing or two about acrobatic archery from the Amazons. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, Gal Gadot, she is, or Gadot, she is terrific in this part. She is, obviously, she's, she's gorgeous, she, but she brings the right level of naivete, and, uh, but she's also much more progressive than a lot of the women of the time. So there's this interesting dichotomy there, but she delivers it, and she shows a... a um, you know, there, there, she does things, I think, emotionally and with the character that I've never... I mean, I've seen her in other films. She was a regular in a couple of the... She was part of that supporting cast in a couple of the Fast and Furious films. And uh, and I've seen her in a couple of other things, but she's never been as good as she is here. And it's so great that she she is that. I think she really embodies this character in a way that... Uh, that I I, uh, I really appreciate it. And, and just as an aside, I saw a photo of her at the uh, the Hollywood premiere of Wonder Woman standing beside Linda Carter. And uh, they both were just like incredible. Like they were just like <laughs> wow. walked like they walked right off the screen. Linda Carter hasn't changed at all in 30 years. It was just it was amazing. I have it on good authority that it Godot, it rhymes with a float. Ah, so, okay, very good. Yeah, because I initially I was I was trying to pronounce it with a silent T, like it was French or something. But she, of course, is uh, Israeli originally, and yes, and, and yes. had I, I guess like uh, like many young Israelis had some army training in her late teens, and uh, so you know the physicality of the role, um, she already had uh, some chops in that regard um, from an early age. So you know that's why she fits so naturally into this role in a lot of ways. It's funny, you know, you mentioned the the Fast and the Furious. Uh, and she plays, I think, not, is it Giselle? And I think she's in several of the films. And I, for the life of me, cannot remember. I've seen all those films. I can't remember what she does in any of those movies. But I really don't feel like going back to rewatch them and find out. She, but. Yeah, she she is, uh, she has a sort of uh, romance with Han, the character who. Okay. But uh, yeah, I believe she finds, I believe that she meets her end at the end of the sixth movie. Yes. Um, but she's definitely in five and six. And uh, yeah, and she's, she's, she's got a great presence. And I, I really, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how since Wonder Woman has come out, there have been all sorts. It's like because it's, it's being hailed as sort of like a feminist action movie in, in many ways. And there's a lot of people who are very happy to see it. And I can totally understand. But there's also been some criticism from some corners. I've, I've read some articles about. Oh, you know, from Crybabies. That, <laughs> well from crybaby guys sure there's yeah, those yeah, but, but there there are also those who feel that uh because she is uh, israeli and she worked she served in the idf and she's espoused some political views that are you know that this it can't be feminist because the main star has these has has potentially fairly right-wing uh attitudes towards it because she's israeli I, you know what i i don't i don't know that we need to get into all of that but i find it interesting how how this film has become uh you know it's it's jumped right in the middle of the zeitgeist and it's it's uh people want it to be all things you know like they people are very much engaged in the power of this film i love to see that i love to see the to read the conversations around this kind of 
stuff because it means that it's an important film. I don't think anyone was having those conversations about, you know, Batman v Superman or uh, uh, or Suicide Squad for that matter, particularly, you know, and, and I think it also it, it indicates that the film does have some quality. It's it's not just a superhero movie. It's actually could potentially have some real inspiration for both you know, kids, uh, young girls and young boys who uh, who are looking for a for a strong uh, female uh, hero on screen. I think that's I think that's what Patty Jenkins has delivered here. Yeah, for sure. And I think that maybe it, it's a little bit of a uh, a bit of a broadside at the Marvel Universe in a in a kind of an offhand sort of way that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the DC line has has long kind of especially with the, the Superman movies and then Batman versus Superman. I mean, the Nolan Batman films have kind of stood up on their own, sort of separate and apart from what's followed uh, in terms of the Superman movies and Suicide Squad. And, you know, I think the one bright spot was maybe the Lego Batman movie, which I don't, you know, count as part of the DC Comics universe because it's so ridiculous and parodic and all that kind of stuff. But, it, you know, at least it's a fun Batman movie, certainly more fun than uh, the Nolan ones in some ways in, in terms of just pure, like, enjoyment but but um you know that that the, one of the big complaints about the marvel universe is that its female characters have been horribly underserved and that you know well why shouldn't there be a a black widow movie like you know so uh the fact that dc was able to get wonder woman off the ground and in such a spectacular fashion when um you know marvel has has had some you know i, I hate to say token female characters because I, I think like scarlett johansson is great as as black widow but you know Really, she's she's given more to do. I think maybe in the Captain America movies and the Avenger movies, but uh, that uh, they have, now they have to step up to the plate and come up with some uh, some equally great uh, female roles and 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 feature films and and uh, and, and hopefully we're seeing a, a, a balance to these. Uh, you know, not not that I love the the dominance of of comic book movies by any means, but if they're going to be made, I would like them to be good and inclusive and uh, you know show a, a broader worldview. I mean, we're going to get a Black Panther movie, presumably at some point, and I'm looking forward to that as well. So Yeah, we, we had the trailer this week. Uh, it's, it's, oh, due, it's due uh, February of 2018, uh, which struck me as an odd time for it to come out, but then I realized it's Black History Month. It's actually, uh, actually, I was, I, was, uh, I was clued into that by a friend. I was like, right, of course, that makes total it's sense. Really appropriate. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I agree. It's, it's Marvel is now, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Marvel. They haven't delivered with their Black Widow movie. They are having in production a uh, Captain Marvel movie with Brie Larson, which I believe is coming in late 2018 or early 2019. So that'll be their first female led superhero movie. Um, I think there's more to be said about why it is there. There aren't more of these. And I think Marvel has dropped the ball. I, I I mean, there is no reason why they couldn't have a Black Widow movie at this point. It's a great character. There's the lots of fans and Scarlett Johansson, who we'll I think talk about a little later, clearly has a has some success in action movies. She's she's great. Uh, she's great as Black Widow. She's great in other roles too, where she's required to have a lot of physical presence. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I think. Um, you know, and I think that, but I think Wonder Woman, thankfully, uh, delivers a lot of what people were looking for. And it's not a perfect movie. It, I think it falls apart in the end with a big CGI battle fest, which unfortunately is, is um, you know, is is just a little generic. Yeah, it's got to uh, been there, done that feel about it for sure. Yeah, you, feel, you, yeah. Know, you just think, you think back to, and that's probably the 
Snyder-esque aspect of the story. You just go back to the the, the doomsday battle at the end of uh, Batman versus Superman, and it just all feels horribly familiar. Um, inter- I, I love the fact that it's set in the First World War, although I guess if you're a Wonder Woman purist, the fact that she first emerged in the Second World War, uh, making the axis fold, as the theme song goes, you know, fighting fighting the Nazis initially um, in uh, 1942, I think, is when the... or. Uh, uh, 41, 42 is when the first, uh, when Wonder Woman first appeared. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I'm guessing that a lot of people kind of miss that whole rah, rah, you know, second world war, Wonder Woman, red, white, and blue kind of, uh, propaganda aspect of her origin, but it would be too similar to Captain America, which is, I assume the reason why they didn't go that route. And, uh, and I also love a good world war. <laughs> one a first world war story and uh you know we, we don't really get enough of those these days you know it's it's a hundred years ago in the past and maybe some people don't have a strong feel for that era and for that conflict which is so convoluted uh you know even all these years later it's really hard to get a handle on why that war happened in the first place but uh but it it, it does give a strong base for the character and, and um you know it sets it apart from you know captain america and his uh, anti-nazi anti-nazi anti-red skull kind of battles in his first film so and and it just gives you something a little different setting apart from the rest of the 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 dc comics universe um you know it doesn't try to get into the nuances of the first world war by any stretch uh you know and some people actually thought that uh that uh dan dan houston's uh, character is a nazi when of course this predates uh the nazis he's just an evil german who wants to perpetuate the war and destroy the allies so yeah uh, and and i think you know the the things that this film does borrow a little bit from marvel is well from captain america the first avenger which was set in world war ii uh it feels like chris pine is kind of in the Haley atwell agent carter role yes um you know and there's there are aspects towards the end of wonder woman where there's a plane flying away trying to save the day that reminded me a little bit of that first captain america movie and also some of the um uh, some of the fish out of water laughs that Thor, the first Thor movie, had were certainly are sort of sort of a, a similar thing going on here. Uh, but I, I like that. You know, it's it's fine. These all of these movies have a similar, or these stories going back to the comic books have a they they have this. There's you know characters are are uh you know developed and and uh, in this superhero genre it, there are tropes that are repeated and that's okay as long as i don't mind a little variation in them if if you're going to thematically you're in on similar ground and uh and uh, you know the problem with the dc movies so far is that not only have they been so dark and grim and and uh and uh joyless uh but they've also been kind of a a, a mess in how they've been executed um so you know this is not joyless this is there's humor here and i enjoy that uh and i like the villains you mentioned danny houston uh elena anya anaya also uh and they, they reminded me a little bit of some of the villains in uh in say uh guillermo del toro's hellboy movies uh they've got that kind of steampunk quality to them uh and and i i really enjoyed that um and, and there is a playfulness in them i mean they are so evil that at one point they gas a room full of of people and and murder them and throw them a gas mask which won't do them any good but they they throw it to them anyway just because it'll uh <laughs> you know just to terrorize them i guess uh yeah and then they have a huge like evil laugh about it i yeah i thought that was a great scene uh um, you know, but as I said, it's not, it's not a perfect film. It's a great, it's just a really great step in the right direction. Uh, I, I felt like some of the supporting cast 
including Ewan Bremner um, and uh, an actor named Eugene Braverock, uh, feel a little bit... Um, uh, there are a little bit ethno ethnic stereotypes there that they cleave to. I mean, they're heroic characters, and that's great. But but uh, I wanted a little bit more. Like we we uh, Bremner's character set up as being um, he seems to have PTSD. Like he can't quite. Uh, he's supposed to be this great sharpshooter, but he can't yeah, quite shoot anybody. Falls under pressure. <laughs> and then you know, at, at a certain point, he starts playing the piano, and he seems like well, he's 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 had some success. You know, so clearly he's getting better i i don't really know what the deal is but we we don't they they don't have any kind of uh they don't have any sort of resolution some of these characters they just wind up being background towards the end of the film uh which is um you know uh i i thought well that's too bad i I felt like there was more there needed to be more of an arc with them uh all all this said it, it is it is really wonder woman's story and she is uh She's great, and uh, and more 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 of her. I also I've heard rumors. In fact, I was listening to another podcast earlier today, the uh, Empire podcast, which I really enjoy. Uh, they were saying they've heard that the uh, uh, the next DC Universe film, which is to be the uh, Justice, Justice League, League? Yeah. yeah, Justice League, coming in November. They are trying to add more Wonder Woman to it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, given no. the success. So yeah. Well, plus, you know, the, the, that that movie is going to have a heck of a task ahead of it. Uh, they, they have to introduce a bunch of characters that have never appeared or, you know, had those weird little cameos in the, in, the, in Batman versus Superman or, or in some characters that haven't appeared at all uh, up to this point. And uh, they, they really kind of have to nail down the, the characters that people are familiar with at the same time. Um, another actually, I just heard that uh, 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 Danny Elfman has been announced to score Justice League, which makes me think that. Okay, they're definitely going to go for a more pure comic book tone for it, rather than the 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 overly grim, <laughs> depressing, uh, you know, the the Superman and Batman versus Superman film. So I, I kind of that that was I took that as a promising sign that okay that they're going to have Elfman who can do a bit of dark but also a bit of you know comedic and genre kind of uh, fun to what he does. So I'm hoping that. That, that that is what they're going to focus on. And certainly, certainly, uh, you know, when Wonder Woman appears in Batman versus Superman, it's like basically the first ray of light into that film, you know, <laughs> but we're so battle fatigued by the time she shows up. It's a little too, little too, little too late, but she is like the best part of the whole film. Yeah. As far as, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's all, it's all good. You know, I, I, uh, I feel like, um, you know, you you uh, you can't really swing a cat these days without uh, finding a, uh, a a franchise with a female action lead lead, and it's it's great that that we're going to see more of them as superheroes. I, I know that Catwoman and Elektra both bombed in the early noughties or whatever we're calling them the uh, the early. Uh, part of our millennium and uh, and i think that's what hollywood looked at and said oh well people don't want to go see uh action movies or superhero movies with a female lead well uh the real takeaway from that was those movies weren't very good so you know we don't want to see superhero movies that aren't very good it doesn't matter who is starring in them um but uh but you know you were talking about light and dark and the x-men movies they were always were. I mean, X Men are dark. They're darker series. They feel like misfits, and they were. They're trying to protect humanity, even though they're hated by humanity. You know, there's room for darkness there. There's room for darkness in Batman movies, 
But, um, you know, in a Captain America movie, it needs to be lighter. In a Thor movie, it needs to be lighter. Certainly a Wonder Woman or a Superman movie should be lighter. So uh, I think Marvel has really gotten that tone right. They've, they've allowed for darkness to creep in and into material that is that's supposed to be darker and, and allowed for more humor to show up and say Ant-Man. Uh, you know, and I think, I think they're great at that. But uh, I hope that DC, uh, DC has figured that out too now. And, uh, and going forward, they'll just be better. So doing a show about female action heroes, it seemed like once we've discussed Wonder Woman and uh, what a big impact that film has had just uh, since its release in the past few weeks, and hopefully we'll continue to send some ripples through the blockbuster movie marketplace uh, for the next uh, few years at the very least, and hopefully in perpetuity. Um, I was trying to think of a place where to start. And, uh, you know, female action heroes in the film, I mean, if you want to go back to the silent movie days, of course, there was the... The Perils of Pauline, which was a serial of, you know, 15 minute installments every week um, with actor Pearl White uh, having various uh, misadventures and mishaps uh, and, uh, and a series of cliffhangers. Uh, and then that was later uh, brought into the sound age. There's a, a feature film version with uh, with Betty Hutton um, kind of paying, playing Pearl White and and uh, sort of bringing back all those kind of what are now seen as cliched kind of cliffhanger uh, adventure stories. Now she was more kind of at the mercy of the things that were going on around her more than the um, protagonist, so to speak. But um, it seems like the first area of films that I can think of where a, a woman could hold her own against a man and it was just as tough and just as strong and, um, and, and in many cases, tougher and stronger uh, is uh, looking at Asian martial arts films. There's, there's a long tradition going back to at least the 60s, if not earlier, of, uh, of, of strong of female warriors, female martial arts practitioners, um, you know, who are every bit as de- dedicated to their craft as, as the male uh, fighters and warriors and uh, often have more of a sense of humor than their male counterparts and, uh, you know, and, and often are way more charismatic than the male counterparts. And uh, and it's 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 a long tradition, and I'm not speaking as an expert here because these are films I've only seen in dribs and drabs here and there. Um, There's a director named King Hu, who uh, made films in the early '70s, uh, late '60s and early '70s, like Come Drink with Me and Dragon Inn, that feature uh, strong female protagonists. And uh, and those films, uh, some of them have been remade over time uh, with uh, with younger actors taking over some of those parts. Uh, and uh, certainly. Uh, as we get into the modern era of more sort of modern day action films, like with Jackie Chan and so on, um, you know, female co-stars or leads uh, who hold their own against the, against their male co-stars become extremely prominent. Um, In fact, uh, the name that comes most rapidly to mind is Michelle Yeoh, who for much of the movie going public, they may not have uh, experienced her uh, skills on screen until tomorrow never dies where she was, uh, I hate to use the term Bond girl, but, um, you know, she turns up as a, as a Chinese agent who uh, teams up with Bond to, dis- to uh, take down a, a megalomaniac, as they, as they do in every one of those films. Uh, and, uh, you know, was certainly uh, in the Brosnan years, uh, you know, certainly as imposing a figure on screen as Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. Unfortunately, I feel like her part in that film was either underwritten to begin with or perhaps reduced 
during shooting because uh, Michelle Yeoh might be the the best part about that film, and uh, she is woefully underused. I think she could have been put to much better use. But um, at that point, that was 1997, uh, and she'd already been in films for uh, over a decade uh, in Hong Kong action movies. Um, basically, I believe she was like a beauty pageant winner who uh, was enlist, you know, was enough of a reason to put her in a movie, I guess, in Hong Kong. I mean, in the fairly fast and loose uh, world of Hong Kong movie making. And uh, quickly held her own in, in playing a, um, a police uh, inspector in, in the line of duty uh, under her, I don't know if it's her original name or maybe a maiden name, Michelle Kahn is the name she goes by in many of her early films before uh, becoming known as Michelle Yeoh around the time of her uh, co-starring role with Jackie Chan in, um, in Supercop. Now, um, Michelle Yeoh, of course, uh, you know, has gone on to do straight dramatic roles that don't involve any martial arts or, or, you know, gunplay or anything like that. Uh, and uh, things like the Sung sisters, about three sisters uh, in China who had a pivotal role in, in Chinese politics Um she played an exiled leader in The Lady, uh, in Burmese leader uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, and uh, has, I don't know if you'd say she's gone into semi-retirement because she has made some recent appearances in things like the Marco Polo miniseries, uh, Star Trek Discovery. She was in several episodes of that series. Uh, and she's in. She's now part of the Guardians of the Galaxy universe. Uh, she appears in Volume 2 as, uh, I guess, a space pirate. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure Aida. how... I'm not sure how much she's going to be in uh, in Discovery, but she's definitely a part of the trailer. So when that show finally airs, and we don't still don't know exactly when, but soon, yeah, yeah I'm hoping she's going to be a big part of it. She's down as being in 15 episodes of it, so we'll we'll see what happens. I guess that when does that? I don't even know when that premieres. No, we, we don't we don't know yet. There's I don't think they've announced officially, but soon because they're still shooting it. I kind of got ahead of myself there with her, but 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 it seems like it seems like uh, you know. Around, uh, you know, around the start of the millennium, she was kind of scaling back. She's in Sunshine, uh, the Danny Boyle space movie and stuff like that. But but if you go back to her early films, uh, you know, where she's she's playing a, a kind of a, a young, uh, really brave and, and masterful uh, fighter and and not and, you know, not with a ton of romantic interest being sort of forked into these storylines. Um you know, I, I recently watched a little bit of something called Magnificent Warriors, where she's uh, she's basically a female Indiana Jones in J- Japan occupied Manchuria, uh, flying around in a biplane and dealing with gun runners and and, uh, you know, Japanese soldiers and warlords. And and, and really, it's it, it, it had a did have a North American release on DVD through 20th Century Fox. So there there are like mainstream I don't know how easy they are to find now, but there are copies of that film around and they're a lot of fun um, with a really bad English dub track. But, you know, if that's that's your thing, watch it that way. Um, and certainly Super Cop, where she's a, a, a Chinese inspector, teams up with Jackie Chan's kind of fast and loose Hong Kong police officer. Uh, you know, that that's sort of where she really kind of burst on the scene for for a lot of viewers, even of even the viewers of, the, of Hong Kong action films. That's really where she made a a big uh, a big mark and then she t- they gave her her own film playing the same character uh called either project s or super cop 2 depending on which trail you find and she, she really has a remarkable screen presence um and of course it, it 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 goes to show that it goes without saying that crouching tiger hidden dragon uh is probably 
the best film that she she's been in, where they teamed her with uh, Chow Yun Fat and Ji uh, Yi Zhang in a in a kind of an art house martial arts film directed by Ang Lee, um, and it's it's a gorgeous film with amazing action sequences, a lot of wire work, uh, but very masterfully and poetically done, and certainly. Uh, if you're going to pick one of her films to see and you haven't seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that is that is definitely a must-see. As they tell an ancient uh, bit of folklore about some... Uh, or a Chinese sort of historic folklore story about some masters of, of martial arts and a magical sword, which gets revisited in a Netflix movie uh, that's a lot more recent uh, called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny. Have, is, you, have you seen that? I have seen it, and... I have mixed feelings about it. It's directed by uh, uh, Yun Wu Ping, who uh, did the did was the, I guess the, the stunt coordinator for the original Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and certainly directed a lot of films on his own. Uh, Donnie Yen, uh, who is probably the leading Chinese martial arts uh, movie star at the moment, uh, he's you know he's her co-star and kind of plays this this guy who's loved her from afar. And it's it's though, in, it's in English though as opposed to the first Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon which was yeah, in, in which Mandarin. I, I guess I guess because they were pitching it to a you know the North and North American market, uh I guess they decided that it had to be in in English. Um, yeah. which <laughs> is a drawback cuz some of the acting is not very good, but uh so you're basically you're essentially watching it for the action set pieces and not so right. much for the um uh, for the the sort of masterful filmmaking that you would have gotten in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So in that sense, it is an inferior sequel, but it does have some great moments. Although there is a lot, you know, there is some CGI in some of the big ultimate fight scenes that is a bit distracting. That, uh, you know, Crouching Tiger tried to do as much of it as possible with, you know, real people and wire work and real locations and yeah. not too much green screen. Um, there's a ton of it in in uh in uh, sort of destiny. Now, Yuan Wo Ping, you mentioned uh, uh, lots of stunt coordinating credits, including on, I believe, The Matrix, where, yeah. of course, uh, Trinity was the female action star in that, and she was went toe to toe with uh, Keanu Reeves' uh, Neo. And uh, yeah, I, um, I actually uh, that was in my ha- brain as I was trying to research some stuff from uh you know female action stars of the past there was trinity was definitely one i i thought of but uh but yuen woping also directed uh a film you suggested i watch uh called uh, tai chi master from 1993 and uh starring jet li and suho chin as two shaolin monks who are expelled from the temple and they're prone to get into sort of trouble and the whole opening act is very comedic um uh, but when once they get out of the temple, they get involved. The the local corrupt governor and uh, this sort of puts them at odds with one another. Uh, there's a there's a um, there's unrest in the community, and uh, there are rebels. And of course, one of them goes to the rebels, and one of them goes to he has ambitions for power. Uh, and then Michelle Yeoh and Fenny Yuen get involved, and uh, the the comedy quickly turns to drama, and then eventually to sort of an epic battle between good and evil. Um, um, and it has pretty amazing action sequences. Like I was blown away, in fact, by. I mean, this is if you're interested in kung fu action and this kind of film, the uh, sequences are really fun. Um, I don't find the comedy in uh, in these movies 
particularly funny. I find it kind of hokey. And, oh, the, well, and, that's that's pretty much a given. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the drama is, you know, I guess it's it's not much better, but it's funny how the tone they never they're never afraid to change the tone from. Whereas you know Hollywood, they try very hard to like manage tone and have it all be one thing. Um, yeah, in these movies, it's like comedy for the first half, but then drama for the second half. And uh, but what what ties them all together is this incredible the acrobatics that the uh, the stars are expected to do and i my feeling is they do a lot of it themselves yeah uh, certainly michelle yo is spinning there in the air many many times and kicking above her head as she takes out hundreds of soldiers you know with a stick and a sword uh, it's uh yeah it's pretty impressive for the action choreography yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of wire work and a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, Jet Li's strength is that he can do a lot. He's so fat. Like, you know, when he came on the scene, he was basically, you know, Jackie Chan was the man. And then Jet Li came on the scene. He started, he was like like 16 or something when he started in his first film, uh, Shaolin Temple. Uh, and the thing about Jet Li was he, was he was almost always deadly serious. He was super fast. I mean, I mean, Jackie Chan was fast, but he, he would always, the thing about Jackie was that he would pause for like, you know, a, a facial expression or, you you know, he grimaced in pain after punching someone or whatever. There was that, that was the essence of his character, whereas Jet Li was very driven, determined and a bit grim from time to time. And and, and also like just somebody you didn't want to mess with. And you, you look at, uh, uh, you know, he was in, a, he did a remake of uh, Bruce Lee's Fists of Fury that is, uh, is, is a pretty intense uh, sort of, not modern day because it's. I think it's set again during the Japanese occupation. It's a bit of an obsession um, with uh, with the, you know Hong Kong films, but um, you know it's it's just got nonstop and 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 super fast action and and here here he gets to dial it back a little bit. He gets to do a little more character work and and like you know show some humor. At one point he kind of he doesn't have amnesia but he's kind of rendered a little simple-minded and he has to kind of come back from that which is something that happens in a lot of these films i saw a chai Yun fat god of gamblers movie where the same he's basically somehow gets hit on the head and has the intelligence of a five-year-old or something like that and you know has to come back from that and so it seems to be a recurring theme in some of these action films um and, and jet Li's films don't always have the greatest supporting cast but here he's you know he's got a great and this was actually released in English as Twin Warriors for a time being, and before they reverted back to the original title of Tai Chi Master, um, you know, and he and Michelle Yeoh make a make a great pair as they're fighting against this army and and also against his duplicitous former friend, who's now become the most evil of mercenaries for the war, you know, for the evil warlord. And uh, you know, there's a there's a lot going on, and it has you know, it's not quite as straightforward as, as some of the other uh, Jet Li films of this era. And, uh, you know, it's early 90s, so he's still, like, super fast and still on, on top of his form uh, physically, which is which is a nice thing about it. And it, uh, we should mention, it is on Netflix. Um, you know, it's it's one of the rare kind of classic martial arts movies that you can readily find on Netflix. So that's, you know, I, I found a Dragon Dynasty uh, Blu-ray in a bargain bin, which is a nice find. But uh, if you don't feel like shelling out for that, uh, you, can, you can certainly watch the Netflix version and, uh, you know, enjoy it on that level. So... Uh, and I'll, I should have mentioned another film, which is probably not as easy to find, but it's it's out there if you if you're willing to look. I know that there was a sort of an import Hong Kong DVD of it. It's called the Heroic Trio, which gives us you know three of the major Hong Kong action 
stars uh, of the time, Michelle Yeoh, uh, uh, Maggie Chung, who's also in um, a number of uh, Jackie Chan roles uh, of films and uh, also holds her own in several of her own films. And uh, Anita Mui, um, who sadly passed away uh, about a decade or so ago. But they play this the heroic trio. They're three female I guess maybe mercenaries uh, <laughs> who, are, who are trying to find um, the evil invisible woman who's been stealing babies for her evil master. So it's, it's got this weird mix of supernatural uh, action um, and it's a modern day setting and they're kind of superheroes. In fact, uh, who is it? Um, Anita Mui's uh, tongue is uh, in some versions of the film is actually named Wonder Woman. Like they, they just flat out call her Wonder Woman in either the dubbed or subtitled version. I can't remember. And, um, you know, Maggie Chung is, is thief catcher and, and it's, it's fairly tongue in cheek, but there is some dark stuff to it. There's, you know, the, the great thing about Hong Kong action films is occasionally a character will die that you did not expect to die and they will kill off children if need be for, for the sake of a dramatic impact. I've seen a few films where a child or even an infant will be killed in the course of a film. And it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of off putting, but it also takes you by surprise. And that's kind of what makes those films interesting on some level that, that there are certain boundaries that a Hollywood film might not cross that uh, a Hong Kong film will cross gleefully um, just to kind of keep you off guard and kind of break with formula. So there's a lot of stuff in her filmography that that is worth checking out. Uh, and it's great to see that she's kind of coming back onto the scene after a, not necessarily a hiatus, but kind of a break from making um, high-intensity genre films. So earlier I said that, uh, you know, there these female-fronted action movies are becoming more popular. And it, it, you can see them in action genres and in horror genres. Uh, certainly Mila Jovovich and the Resident Evil movies. I think there are six of them. I'd be damned if I can name them all, but they're out there. Kate Beckinsale's Underworld series just came back with another entry in that recently. Of course, the young adult series like The Hunger Games, Divergent. And then there's also things like Charlie's Angels. There was uh, Kill Bill. Uh, of course, uh, Uma Thurman playing uh, Beatrix Kiddo. Uh, and, uh, of course, the Alien movies, obviously. Um, and there's others as well. I, you know, I was thinking back on on having really enjoyed Pam Greer in uh, Jackie Brown, which, of course, there's a whole exploitation films from the 70s that she starred in, where she was very much a forceful, uh, force to be reckoned with as a, as a female action star. Uh, and if you wanted to go that, far back to the 70s you could even consider Russ Meyer's series of movies like Faster Pussycat Kill Kill as being you know uh, a part of this whole whole genre I think we should maybe Stephen I think sometime we should do a uh, you know a, a, like exploitation films of the 70s and maybe uh, consider <laughs> some of these getting into some of these movies more uh, then but uh, a I'm bit, definitely I'm, down for that I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of Luc Besson's work, and you know if you look at his films, uh, not all of them are great, but he does really like to have female action stars. Uh, if you consider Natalie Portman in Leon, uh, Joan of Arc, uh, uh, of course in in The Messenger, um, uh, and uh, 
uh, Adele Blanc-Sec in, the, in her movie, The Extraordinary Adventures of. Uh, but the one, of course, I think most people would think of um, is La Femme Nikita, which uh, was uh, has been a favorite of mine for years. And I remember when it opened in 1990, I think, uh, you know, French critics were like, this is the end of French cinema. Uh, they were very <laughs> critical of it because it adopted a lot of American action tropes. But it really, when you watch it now, it feels, doesn't feel American at all. It feels French. And, and that's because of the style of it, the very much that the, the, the look, the blue glossy look of it, but also because, uh, you know, her character just didn't exist in French cinema uh, or in, in American cinema before. I, uh, uh, Nikita is a, is a really unique character. And, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Nikita. I've gone back to watch it again. Basically, a story of a of a uh, you know a a woman who is part of a, a gang of drug dealing thieves, and uh, there's a, a holdup, and uh, you know people die, cops die, and she gets uh, basically convicted to die, and uh, and discovers she's been saved. Uh, she wakes up and realizes that she is going to. She has one choice now: is to become part of this super secret spy organization where she'll be trained and uh and you know become an agent and so that's what she does for a number of years in her early 20s uh, uh this is Anne Pariot and she's she's playing Nikita and she's being trained by Checky Caro uh Uncle Bub uh and uh yeah and then she goes out into the world and uh and goes on missions but uh tries to live a normal life as well uh, by uh, falling in love with a young man, Jean Hughes Angland plays uh, plays Marco, and uh, she gets she basically moves in with him all the while leaving leading this double life, and uh, it's a great. Paris movie. It's a great action movie all the way you can. There's a there's a set piece in the second act where basically it's her final exam and she gets taken out to a fi- a restaurant and she's gifted with a with a with a um, an automatic uh, pistol and uh, she uh, she kills some people and then has a, a shootout in the kitchen and it is really one of the best action sequences I can think of. It's so well edited, so well shot. The sound editing is is like it's really loud. If you have get, get a chance to see it in the big screen, it's it's amazing. So so yeah, Nikita um, Besson went on to do other things. He he did Lucy. We were mentioning Scarlett Johansson. She's great in that. It's a ridiculous film, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's Besson. You know, uh, doing a sort of science fiction action movie where she plays a student who gets special powers and then you know which which very much exceed her her humanity and uh, she's I mean it's all based around this theory that if you can activate more of your brain than we usually use then we would have special abilities which is total crap but uh, but anyway <laughs> yes. for a fantasy movie Lucy Lucy's ridiculous but it's fun but if you want to see a terrific great action movie and a great spy movie as well uh, Nikita is the one to see I think yeah, Anne Perio is so good in this film, and uh, you know, I, I think, I think she kind of tried to distance herself from genre film, pictures after this one. You know, that that she could have continued in films of this vein and decided, no, I'm not going to, um, you know, I I want to be taken seriously, even even though she's great in this role, and it's very, you know, it's a very draining, demanding, challenging role for her. It's so physical, and 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 yet she's she's got a have that sense of heartache and loss and all that stuff throughout the course of the film. You know, she, she, she delivers a human element to this movie that's missing from uh, other uh, Luc Besson films that kind of feel like these very intricate tinker toy action films that don't necessarily have such a human element to them. You know, like uh, I was thinking of, uh, is it 
Lilu in Fifth Element. Oh know? yeah, that's right. Yeah, of course. Uh, There's a Mila Jovovich again. Is it? Yeah, Lilu is the Lilu. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. and, and, and I, I get. I was. It's Leela in Futurama. Lilu in in, uh, in Fifth uh, Element. In that's Fifth right. Element. You know, actually, I and I kind of was hoping that at some point maybe he'd think about doing a sequel to Fifth Element, but maybe it just doesn't work with Bruce Willis again. But well, uh, well, there be, is a, he is doing a movie called Valerian that's coming out this summer. Yeah, it's you've based seen on the, the comic the, book, I believe. Yeah, if you see the trailer, it's got very much a Fifth Element vibe to it. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, maybe not quite as colorful, but I'll, I'll certainly be curious to see it when it when it comes out. But um, uh, but cer- but certainly Anne Perio, like, and f- the only other sort of film of this, you know, she played a great vampire in uh, Innocent Blood for John Landis, which maybe if it hadn't been played as so much for laughs with all the Italian gangster stuff, I, I might have liked it more. But it, she's certainly great in it, and as we're seeing for her, at any rate, it's sort of a it's sort of the forgotten film of the John Landis filmography, but uh, but uh, one of the great sort of unsung sort of 90s vampire movies i guess uh and yeah and, and and lucy a lot of people really didn't care for lucy that just the the maybe the dumbness of the premise is what turned them off of it uh i enjoyed it for you know just its sheer uh you know velocity and momentum i, I you know I, I thought that it had a great you know it's, it's and it's not that nonsensical it's 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 kind of a dumb idea but you know most action films are based on a dumb idea and yeah it's I, true and I, I thought that uh, it was made with uh, with great energy, and 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 she was great in that in that uh, role. I mean, another one of those kind of uh, Scarlett Johansson plays a barely human killing machine. Yeah, you know, yeah, like like Ghost, is, Ghost Ghost, Ghost Michelle, Michelle, which we saw recently and talked um, about. Yeah, I have a feeling she's going to try and take a vacation from those kind of roles for a while. I wouldn't but, be surprised, though. I I do hope that someone at Marvel finally clues in and gives her a movie as as uh, Black Widow. Uh, but yeah, you you put her in a in a in a sort of skin tight outfit. You hide her eyes behind designer shades, and uh, you know you get a cadre of heavily armed uh, thugs to try to track her down. You know, and you've got a movie right there. Like it's it's uh, yeah, I, I really like uh, Scarlet, and I think Lucy is is fun. But I agree, it's it's wacky. Um, I also want to give a tip of the hat to Angelina Jolie, who of course was Lara Croft Tomb Raider, yes. uh, another uh, franchise that uh, it did reasonably well. Uh, I can barely remember the films, but I remember Daniel Craig was in one of them. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it basically you know it owed more than a little to Indiana Jones, but uh, they. Uh, you know, I gather they're rebooting the series now with a younger Lara played by Alicia Vikander. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and Jolie was also in in Wanted, which was a pretty fun movie, though she wasn't the star of it. It's uh, it's one of those sort of ridiculous action concepts that uh, that was was a, was a lot of fun. Uh, and she was in Salt, directed by Philip Noyce, which is more of a spy movie, more in the in the sort of Mission Impossible era uh, range of, 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 of tones, where she plays a, a CIA agent who is accused of being a, a sleeper for the Soviets. And then uh, it becomes, you know, uh, it becomes a little more convoluted as we try to figure out whether she's a double agent. And uh, it also stars Liev Schreiber and Chiwetel Ejiofor. So there's uh, there's some interesting stuff going on in Salt. I, I don't know that I would recommend it across the board, but if you're interested in a sort of spy thriller with a lot of action moments, then uh, she's she's pretty great in that. Have you seen that, Stephen? I did. I didn't love Salt. I just okay. it was it, it was a kind of a one damn thing after another kind of story, <laughs> where stuff it just started to make sort of less and less sense as it went along. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and I guess you could level the same charge at Lucy, but it, it, it didn't, at least Lucy had a kind of style to it that, that kind of propelled you through it where salt just, you know, I don't know. And, and, and Jolie's kind of, I don't know. I felt she was kind of just going through the motions in this film. Yeah. Like obviously she's, there's a lot of great physical stuff and set pieces and you know action and stuff like that. And, and certainly the supporting cat, I mean, Lee of Schreiber and Joetta Leggio for, you can't do much better than that for no. uh, supporting male roles. But um I don't know. It just didn't all come together for me for some reason. I, I, I might revisit it at some point, but um, uh, it just, uh, yeah, it just didn't stick with me. Uh, fair enough. You know, I, I, uh, one thing I liked about it was that I read that Tom Cruise was originally going to be a vehicle for him and then he bailed out. So uh, I like the idea that, you know, a female star can step right in and they, all they have to do is change the name and you've got, you know, you've got, uh, you've got the the movie to go um i I thought that was cool but um i think we're uh we're probably getting close to the end here and i want to mention a few other really good action movies before we uh we call it a day on these uh yeah well to tie it into one of those films i i think maybe one of my problems with salt was it was too similar it just kept reminding me of a a a much more fun and much better film that i think you're about to mention uh when you get into uh sleeper agents and that is the long kiss good night uh, directed by Rennie Harlan and starring his then wife, Gina Davis. Yeah, that's right. And written by Shane Black. Uh, yeah. And it's got the sort of Christmas location, uh, you know, time period that Shane Black likes. Uh, it's not like a great movie, I don't think, uh, but it has it has some real charm to it. And it's much in that sort of Shane Black dialogue. Uh, basically, Davis plays a school teacher in a small town. She's amnesiac. And years ago, she was found with no memory of who she was. But a head injury brings back long buried physical skills where she first she thinks because she's really good with knives that she was a chef, uh, which is a great gag. But then she discovers she was a CIA assassin. And with the help of Samuel L. Jackson, who plays a uh, a private investigator. She investigates her past. It was all shot in wintry Southern Ontario, and it does feel a lot like Southern Ontario. Uh, locally, it was sort of notorious because the production burnt down a the, well, a, a hotel burnt down that the production was using at the time, <laughs> and there were I think there were lawsuits. It was all very problematic. Um, but Rennie Harland is one of those action directors who's done a lot of work, but isn't generally beloved. I, I think Long Kiss Goodnight is worth rediscovering, though, if people are looking for something uh, that they may not have seen um yeah and uh, other a few others i wanted to mention there's smell of sense of snow the adaptation of the peter hogue novel set in chilly copenhagen another wintry action movie it's actually more of a thriller i would say the first two acts uh, have julia ormond who plays this woman who is investigating the death of a boy in her building and uh and then she discovers that uh a lot of uh there's a corporate malfeasance issue going on there uh and there's a lot of great supporting cast there including jim broadbent tom wilkinson richard harris gabriel byrne peter capaldi robert loggia and even vanessa redgrave all of whom are putting on accents or hiding their accents um (laughs) but yeah it becomes an action movie in the last 20 minutes or so in a way that really surprises i think uh julia armand is great in it um but uh yeah i guess it's a question of whether or not you're an action movie after a a long thriller whether an action movie is welcome or not um i liked i really like the book too um 
I also wanted to give a shout out to Hannah from 2011, directed by Joe Wright, which is a pretty amazing thing. It's one of those movies that does a lot of things well. On the surface, it's what the sort of trailer says it is. Uh, Sharcy Ronan is a teen who was raised to be a killer by her father and uh, is hiding from a CIA nasty played by Kate uh, Blanchett until she's old enough to old enough to face up to the sort of the secrets of her origins. Um, and in some ways, it's a spy movie. In other ways, it's a uh, canny reinterpretation of, of fairy tales like Snow White and Little Red Riding Hood and any number of grim fairy tales. Uh, and then beyond that, it's a bit of a coming-of-age story where a, a teenager learns about you know, culture and love and the dish- delicious appeal of modern life. Most of all, it's a great action movie with a great female lead. Sharcy Ronan is terrific in it, and it's a really, it's a really fun movie. Um, and I don't think we can... Uh, walk away from this subject uh, without suggesting that one of my l- favorite action movies with the female lead and female action stars is Haywire, a movie directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by the legendary Lem Dobbs. And it is so much fun. And it was a movie that completely vanished after its release. I think some people have found it on other formats, but in cinemas, no, the reviews weren't great and no one went to see it. Um, but uh, yeah. It is wonderful, and it stars Steven Soderbergh basically plucked Gina Carano out of obscurity. I mean, she isn't obscure for people who knows, know the MMA. She was a fighter, and she also starred in the TV series American Gladiators. But uh, as a film star, she he just basically thought, you know what? I'm going to put this woman in uh, an action movie, like a spy action movie, and I am going to have her op- act opposite great actors who have some physical skills <laughs> yeah. like Channing Tatum who was in G.I. Joe and, and uh, Step Up Ewan McGregor who was in the Star Wars movies uh, Michael Fassbender who was in Centurion and 300 so in some ways they don't look like total amateurs opposite her trained physical skills and she doesn't look like a total amateur opposite their acting experience it's actually a great idea and I think it totally works yeah I really I uh, was taken by surprise by this film uh, when, I mean I, I figured well it's Steven Soderbergh doing an action film? Uh, sure, why not? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't count the Ocean's Eleven series as, as action films necessarily. But, but Out of but, Sight has some action moments, maybe that's with, true. Uh, Fair with Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez. But uh, but yeah, go ahead. But uh, but you know, certainly something that was going to be this physical, and and I, I certainly had never seen Gina Carano uh, prior to this film, and I've, I've she's popped up. I think she popped up as a as a baddie in one of the uh, Fast and Furious movies, and yeah, and, since uh, then she has. She's in, yeah, she's in yeah. Deadpool. But uh, I, I feel like maybe, she, you know, I think we're still waiting to see her heyday. Um, I think she could still be really uh, well utilized in the, in the right kind of role. Certainly Haywire shows that. Um, so I don't know, maybe she's uh, just trying to bide her time and wait for something good to come along. Because it's, it's so hard for, for actors, uh, female actors of any stripe to, to find a role that suits them and is uh, appropriate and respectful. And it's such a challenge for uh, actors at any age True. to find that kind of material, and um, but you know, just the, their physical presence in this film is fantastic. And, and she, she uh, is, yeah. It's like it's like she is. It's if anyone was looking for a female version of the Bourne movies, this is it. I mean, she yeah. she's traveling all over the world. We are in Barcelona, Washington D.C., and Dublin, and then she's uh, you know she's acting opposite Michael Douglas, Antonio Banderas. I mean, it's uh, it's great stuff, and she is really impressive. She's a uh, uh, yeah, she and the um, Bill Paxton again uh, shows up uh, as her father in a in a in a nice small role, and uh, yeah, I uh, the the physical fights are poetry. I think that Soderbergh 
he locks down his camera and he allows Carano and her, her leading men to do their thing. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of amazing, uh, what they, what they do. And, uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great female led action movie. And, and, uh, you know, I think, um, I'm looking at the trailer now for Atomic Blonde, which is coming out later this, uh, this summer with, um, uh, Charlize Theron as, as you know, the Imperator Furiosa herself in an action movie that looks a, <laughs> looks a little bit like Haywire. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it just makes me happy to see these movies because because uh, they're they've been really good and, and I hope they make more of them. And just on a, on a small screen note, uh, I just have to mention that I, lately I've been binging um, on a, a series called Orphan Black, which uh, is just started i think last weekend started its final season its fifth and final season i'm kind of at the start of season three so i'm kind of plowing through the past episodes uh hoping to catch up with season five before it uh finishes up and somebody spoils it for me but uh, basically tatiana maslany uh canadian actor plays uh um a group of uh clones basically who uh are trying to get to the heart of this evil corporation that's basically cloned them and is trying to use them for some un well at the point that i'm at you know unknown nefarious purpose um you know and i'm at the start of season three and there's still like a lot of mysteries that need to be solved and and tatiana maslany has to play multiple like i think she plays like upwards of nine or ten different clones and each one has a separate and unique personality from like a kind of the cockney street hood um sarah who's kind of like the main character who we meet at the very start to the alice in the uptight uh, suburban housewife and the, the dreadlock scientist and and so on and so it's uh i'm hoping that once this series wraps up tatiana maslany is such a great charisma and physical presence and, and a great sense of humor that i'm hoping that we'll see her cross over to the big screen at some time well if we're looking at television we really should give a tip of the hat to Joss Whedon and to Buffy the Vampire Slayer both the film and the TV show the TV show is much closer to my heart than the film is but but boy you know it's hard to talk about female action stars without thinking about Buffy Summers and her her beloved uh, uh, you know wooden spikes (laughs) (laughs) yes uh, definitely uh, and Sarah Michelle Gellar was so wonderful in that role and, uh, and and then the offshoot Angel had some uh, some great uh, female characters as well. Um, and if you haven't seen Buffy, it's it's certainly binge worthy. It's it gets a little addictive. I, I find it gets pretty spotty in the last season. And there's some other moments. You know, it has its ups and downs as any TV series does. But the highs that it achieved were pretty high for for any TV series. Uh, and that that wraps up uh, this uh, this edition of Lends Me Your Ears from Wonder Woman and all the, the women who made it possible for her to appear on the screen. Uh, my name is Stephen Cook, and you can find me on Twitter at, at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. And I'm also on Twitter uh, via my pod, my, sorry, my, my blog. Uh, I'm Karsten Knox. My blog is Flaw in the Iris. So I'm at Flaw in the Iris. And you can find our uh, own website addresses at Lens Me Your Ears. And if you feel like dropping us a line, we have an email address, Lens Me Your Ears podcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page. And if you feel like supporting the show, you're enjoying it and want to send a few dollars our way, uh, we have a Patreon account that you can readily find. And once again, uh, we want to thank the good folks at CKDU-FM who air our show every other Tuesday and the Village Soundcast Network who put all the finishing touches on it. And I believe Karsten, who is currently in Toronto, has some thanks. 
Yes, thanks to Russell Gregg for allowing me to come into the Canada Land uh, studios to uh, record this with you. Thanks so much for listening to Lens Me Your Ears. See you next time. Lens Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music, tour dates, and so much more at gypsophilia.org. Send feedback to Lends Me Your Ears podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.